Hi there, project leaders, and welcome back to the Project Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Glatz. Today, I'm actually joined by a very special guest by the name of David Wilson. David comes from the traffic safety industry, and today we are having a chat about safety in project management. And David also shares with us some advice for early project professionals of things that you can do to kickstart your career. So I hope you enjoy this first interview style episode. We have all felt the pain, the frustration, and the disappointment of a troubled or failed project at some point, either professionally or personally. So here's the big question. How are project professionals like us, who are eager, driven, and passionate about seeing our team succeed, how do we become true project leaders who consistently deliver successful projects that change the world? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Jennifer Glatz, and I'm thrilled to welcome you to the Project Leader Podcast. Hi there, project leaders. Right now, I am joined by David Wilson, and he comes to us from the traffic safety industry. Welcome, David. Hello, Jennifer. How are you keeping today? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? Well, you know, just tickety-boos, we would say in the old country. You know, just uh, (laughs) living the life, cooking with gas. (laughs) Well, it's so great to have you with us in the, the summit, and I'm so excited to learn more from you about, you know, your career path and your experiences and you know, to give us some some wonderful advice to the project professionals out there. So I thought we would just get started, um, you know, chatting a little bit about your career path so far. So would you like okay. to walk us through kind of where you started, the steps along the way, and a little bit about what you're up to now? Absolutely. And how much time do you have? Do you want the shortened version or the long version? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you're comfortable sharing with us. Okay, well, I'll give you a very brief um, kind of resume of where I was and where I've come from and all this thing. Um, The long and short of it, I really kind of got into, well, I suppose architecture and design and project management uh, as a sideline, really, uh, way back in the early 80s. And uh, I I ended up back in the UK. My father was in the British Army, and so we moved around the world for 22 years. And when I look back, I think, you know, what a privileged life we had. You know, we... We lived in so many countries, Hong Kong, Germany, you know, Scotland, England. I was born in Scotland, but for 22 years, our feet never touched the ground. And I actually ended up uh, in a place just 20 miles north of Stonehenge in the UK, a place called Devizes. And I landed there in a very quite small, you know, small market town you know, in rural sort of England. And I thought, what do I do now? I'm at school. Where am I going to go? And I actually originally wanted to be a cartographer, a map maker. You know, and I wanted to travel the world and make maps, which was a totally utopian kind of idea. So already I had that kind of idea of surveying and being on site and, you know, sort of measuring things and, you know, what have you. But at the time, it was Thatcher's Britain at the time, you know, very early 80s. Everybody was losing their jobs, not unlike the situation we're in in Canada and Alberta at the moment. And, uh, you know, the audience survey who employed most of the cartographers for the country was, were not employing people. They were letting people go. And so it was very weird because I then went on what we called a youth opportunity scheme, which was a scheme to sort of get you into work, but they paid you kind of minimum wage. And I kind of hung on that and I'd, I'd managed to get a job in engineering, but for some weird reason, my name was still on this YOP scheme, as they called it. And I got this phone call one day uh, from the job office and said, you know, your name's still on here. You shouldn't really be on here, but we have a job interview. 
uh, for an architectural technologist at a local uh, architectural firm who were based in the town. And so that's really how my career got started. I really started at what I would say is the grassroots level of project management and surveying and, you know, design. And it was a great career start because it was a bit like, um, as we say as parents, you know, you need to know your times tables before you learn how to use a calculator, you know? And so that was really what it was like, that type of training where you learn how to do everything manually, you know, learn how to measure using a tape or good old fashioned chain. Because years ago in the UK, we used chains to measure fields. All the maps were in chains. And you used to sort of run around. And I mean, I never put any weight on for about 10 years, you know, because I was just out surveying all the time and, and project managing. So in Lend, it was great. You know, so I learned on the drawing board. I actually started to sort of do all these uh, you know, amazing ink drawings, rotoring pens. And then when you made a mistake, you scraped out with the razor blade because you were drawing on tracing film. So it was a great career start. And then within a couple of years of that, I then realized I really didn't know anything much about project management for a start, about surveying and estimating and, and how to cost, you know, buildings and how to get projects onto site and what was the timelines. So I, I rather, I took the kind of big leap because I was always one of sort of, well, change is always good. And I joined a builder, a company called Lawton Builders, good old fashioned traditional builder and devices. And I then realized what I didn't know. And that was the thing. And I realized that actually building a building wasn't just about getting the design right or the survey right, although the survey is one of the most important aspects of design and, and getting the project done. Uh, but I realized that, you know, there's a lot more goes into actually construction than, than meets the eye. So fast forward very, very quickly. I stayed in that industry basically for about, um, until about mid nineties, about 96. I was in the industry 15 or 16 years in some sort of design planning, construction site, you know, management and, um, you know, type of industry. And then we just had a big nosedive in, in the building and construction industry in the UK, as it does here in, in, in Canada as well. It has that cycle every three to five years, you're up and down. It's a bit like a roller coaster. And I thought at that time, you know, guess what? I got to get out of this. I got a family to feed. I've got the mortgage to pay, all the usual things. And somebody offered me a job in real estate. And then that's when I found I could sell. So ultimately what that did was it allowed me to transition from a purely technical industry to one of being, you know, sales. But then what that did is it brought the two together. And then fast forward when I came to Canada, um, was really I came here for a technical sales um, business development role uh, with a company called Alberta Traffic Supply. And that was way back on, I think, uh, late 2009, 2010. And I arrived here and uh, minus 52 Celsius, December the 12th, 2009. Welcome to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> baptism of fire you know and i think i'd never experienced that sensation of my um my nose hairs freezing you know when you go in to make the call to get the cab and we actually landed at calgary airport and i couldn't believe how cold it was you know anyway it, it, again long story short it, it, the guy i actually joined there was a guy called james plasto I, he worked for a company called Trafco, which was a subsidiary of ats alberta traffic supply and my job role there was business development. But actually, when you join much smaller companies, and this is what a lot of your project managers will get involved with, is you wear many different hats, as you know. And so really, Trafco wasn't about just procuring products and selling those to local authorities, you know, and to be involved in project um, companies like Stantec, for instance, or, you know, the number of different project um, companies that are in the city here. Um, but it was also about getting the project onto site and getting it done in a timely manner. And we were dealing with very technical things, you know, traffic preemption systems that allow, you know, an emergency vehicle to go through a red light and turn it to green, that type of thing. So there's lots of infrastructure to worry about, lots of technical stuff to get right. And also you're having to work with different people, including, you know, the electricians, the local authority, the suppliers, and having to get done, 
things done in a timely manner. So yes, yeah, so James Plaster, I have to thank him very, very much. He was my general manager then. He actually basically helped me come to Canada, which was wonderful and really started my career here. So I stayed with ATS for about five years. And then they were restructuring and they were merging all the different companies together. So they basically come under the ATS banner. So Trafco as an individual company disappeared and they didn't have the need for four or five general managers. because That's how I kind of progressed up through the ranks and became general manager there after about two or three years. So I really went on my own after that. And it was contract furnishings for a while, you know, again, project managing um, major kind of furniture moves within local authorities, you know, for the province and what have you. Uh, and then after that, went back into traffic and highway safety again and started a company from scratch with a good colleague of mine from ATS days. And we got that up and running. And I'm always seem to be in at the kind of fledgling level, you know, getting the infrastructure done, setting things up, employing people, you know, getting the projects underway, getting that, that project on site and then getting that invoiced. And so that we keep cash flow going and things like that. Because that's another thing about any type of business that, you know, your guys will be in and the people you speak to. It's not just about getting the career and getting the job and, you know, actually getting the, the job done. You've got an invoice for it as well. You won't pay your way. And that's important, you know. Um, I mean, a lot of people don't realize that until they get to the nitty grit and they can't pay the bills. So, you know, again, that's something that we can talk about. But yeah, and then I started my own business uh, way back in about 2015 and always kept that in the back burner. And it was very much in the traffic safety environments. So, you know, doing, um, you know, traffic counting devices, uh, driver feedback signs, you know, for a school zones to say you're going too fast. And then also doing the kind of low tech stuff, the bollards and the kind of signage that can go into those environments just to reinforce the fact that, you know, it's a, a slow down area or it's an area we have to be cautious, you know, especially around schools and stuff like that. So that type of thing has been very good. And then, of course, COVID hit. <laughs> so we, we all got affected with COVID. So you definitely have to be adept on your feet as well. That's the one thing that I've realized within this industry. Um, but you know what? The kind of training that I got way back in the 80s, the project management training, the surveying training, everything, is held me in good stead right here when I got into my 50s. I haven't looked back. I really haven't. So that's a long intro. I, I, it wasn't very kind of short there, but hopefully that helps people understand where I came from. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a fascinating background. I mean, you've traveled so much and and you've experienced, you know, different cultures and different temperatures and different situations and it's it's interesting to hear your perspective on kind of the ups and downs of economy both, you know, both here in Canada but also overseas because I I do feel it's it's a cyclical thing and, you know, as project professionals, we we need to almost prepare ourselves for that because we're project-based, right? So what happens when the project ends? And if we can be agile and nimble and kind of anticipate that that's going to be a recurring theme in our careers that, you know, we can kind of mentally and emotionally prepare for, for that cycle, right? Well, and I think you've hit the nail on the head, the mental uh, preparation, the emotional preparation. We always forget to talk about the, these things in business because we tend to sort of put them away because you're being business-like, you're being professional. But here's my beef on this, right? If you can't mentally prepare and if you can't emotionally prepare, you can't do your job properly. And that's the bottom line, right? And that means not just about you in terms of how you present yourself to your colleagues or to your company or to you know the, the companies that you do work for, but also it's how you interconnect with your, your other people, you know, how you um, negotiate partnerships, how you negotiate working in projects together, how you fit into that, you know, that kind of, um, it's like that well-oiled cog that goes together. How can you fit into that kind of machine and be that real cog that brings value? 
but also you get value out of it. That's the thing. You know, you've got to get value out your project, not just your project management job, but you've got to get value out of the job that you do, you know? And so many of us go into this with a kind of utopia view of, I'm going to fix the world and do great projects and be professional. What you don't realize emotionally and mentally there's a lot of preparation involved and you've got to negotiate and navigate some of those really difficult um, roadmaps that are in different companies because different companies have different cultures and different ways of working, you know, and that's something I'd love to talk about a little bit more later. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly true. And, and, you know, one of the big jobs of project manager is also, you know, protecting the emotional state of our team. So, you know, sometimes it's, it's not just about getting the job done or what's the next task. Sometimes we have to play coach or psychologist, right, and, and help our teams kind of navigate through their lives and, and their careers and what they're going through. So um, you're right that there's that, that emotional support aspect and being able to negotiate through situations and, and dealing with all sorts of different people. Definitely. Most definitely. And one of the things I've found as well, um, and this is a, a saying I've always said to a lot of people over the years, is that everything's on the other side of fear. You know, that's something that I've always kind of believed. And people say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, I said, you know, if something doesn't feel right, you've got to trust your gut. Okay. We have so many things that we do, not just in project management, but in technical industries where we rely on something that's in a book or what we've been taught. And that's the kind of, you know, the parameters we work within. And, and as human beings, we like boundaries. We're, we're totally adhere to boundaries because they make us feel safe. You know, there's something to reference. But what I always say to people is the other thing you've got to tune into is your psyche, your, your, your nonce, as I call it, your intelligence. What does it feel like? What does your gut tell you? Does this feel right? Because that's the other fact that you've got to roll into this. You've got your, your boundaries that you can work with. They're pretty static or variable slightly, but within a sphere. But what does it feel like? Does it not feel safe to you? There's something just doesn't feel right. You have to key into that, that emotional kind of feeling that, that you have. And a lot of people shy away from that because, oh, you know, that's just, I, yeah, I didn't want to feel right. But afterwards, when you do the analysis, and that's the other thing that you should be doing is that if a project goes wrong or if it goes right, do the analysis afterwards, see what went right, what went wrong, how do we improve it? But what did it feel like? And I always say to people, feel, you know, it's so important. And that might sound a really odd thing to bring to a technical subject like project management, but it's really true. Yeah, and, and I completely agree. So, so is it okay if we unpack that a little bit? I mean, yeah, I would love to hear an example from yeah. you, you know, from your experience and your projects about you know, what was the moment where you felt something was a little bit off or what was that scenario and, and how did that drive your decisions for next steps? No, that's a good question. So, I mean, I'll give a very simple example. I mean, one where, um, you know, I was trying to, I, here's an example, because I, I, I get involved in so many things. I was trying to load a, a trailer. I remember one time we were doing some safety uh, management products for one of the cities here in Alberta and they needed the things really really quickly and it was interesting um, the person that normally would load the trailer and use the forklift and to actually sort of get things onto the trailer ready to deliver to the customer was not around so I had to take the initiative and jump on this forklift and I'd just been trained on it and the thing about it was is I couldn't get things onto the trailer properly because I couldn't have approached it in the right direction so I decided oh well I'll go up the ramp instead and, and take the, the, the item onto the back of the trailer and I realized just as I approached it that something wasn't right. Am I, I kind of, is that, you know, this wasn't part of my training to actually go into the trailer with a forklift. It sounds bizarre now because it's stupid. But at the time my gut stopped me and I thought, uh-uh, oh, double check. And I always say this to my kids, when you're crossing the road, look twice. And it's the same in any type of project. And I thought, 
I better look twice here. And I realized if I went onto this trailer, because it wasn't attached to anything, I'd end up flipping this trailer and probably turning the forklift over. So in terms of a, a kind of a very practical thing in terms of within an environment, that was something that made me think, oh, trust my gut reaction. Going back further, I would say, you know, I was involved in a lot of projects which were um, groundwork type projects, you know, where you would um, we'd be installing recycled plastics at the side of a lake to do some decking and, you know, reinforcement for walls to retain earth and what have you. And that's the times when I, my gut would really kick in in terms of um, if there was an excavation, that's where my alarm bells always would go. That's where I was always hypersensitive. So have we got any formwork? Have we got any jacks to keep the, you know, the, the earth back? You know, I understood through my basic training as an architectural technologist in the 80s, there's an angle repose of the soil. You know, the soil has a natural angle layer. And when you start to look at things with your eye and the trained eye and the experienced eye, you can tell that angle isn't right. We need to get some reinforcement in there. So that would be something. And that was a, a lake uh, project that we did at Romara in Wales. Um, and, you know, it was a big, you know, infrastructure project with the groundworks and what have you and so there I was always very cautious and we're working with water as well and in fact I don't know if you know the history but there's some very famous disasters that happened in um, in Wales in a place called Aberfan and it's a very small community in the valleys of Wales and during 19 I think it was 1964 66 they called it the Aberfan disaster and this is where water and in terms of rain we had horrendous amounts of rain got into the tilings or the, the tailings, as they call it, I'm sorry, that's what they're called, tailings, um, of the coal mine. And they were on top of a hill above Aberfan, the village. And as the water soaked in and soaked in over a period of weeks, it was very, very wet, eventually changed the tailings to a liquid and it became mobile. And it came and it slid down the hill and it devastated a, a primary school or an elementary school. And it really basically took out, hundreds of people and I think there was probably a hundred or so children and, and adults killed and so I was always brought up on that you know from the 60s you'd read about it and I was always very conscious when I was ever on a project management site where there was a lot of groundworks involved and water and things like that that's where I'd be extra cautious where extra reinforcement went in extra caution over you know doing your tailgate meetings to say here are some of the things keep an eye out for this if this moves you know do a regular check every morning you know to make sure things aren't moving um, and if it is, then we need to get reinforcement and work needs to stop. So that was some of the practical things. And hopefully that answered your question. I hope that was something that, that you, uh, you know, you wanted to hear. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think you and I could talk about safety on projects for hours and hours. I think it's oh. a topic that you and I are both really passionate about. And, you know, coming from a, a construction background, I mean, I've, I've been in the field and I've, and I've seen those things happen and it's, it's, the absolute worst feeling in the world when something happens or even just a near miss that scares you, you know? And so it's an important conversation to have about how do we, how do we be proactive? How do we protect our teams? How do we recognize things and trust our gut when something isn't right? You know, to be able to, to protect the safety of, of our people, right? And, and of the community around us. Almost oh, definitely. And I think the, the other thing is that, I, you know, and what I like about industry these days is there's a much more accountability. There's much more upfront about being, you know, doing the toolbox. If there's a, a mistake, well, let's highlight that mistake and let's learn from that. You know, having one of a, a you know, environment of accountability, but one where there's not the finger pointed necessarily. It's all about increasing safety. And really, when you compare it to what we were all doing in the kind of 80s and 90s and even into the 2000s, where if something happened on site, a lot of the time, 
okay, nobody else saw it, so I'm not going to report it. But really, absolutely, you know, it's all about, you know, being up front and, and having the guts to say, I made a mistake, you know, and here's the mistake that I don't want other people to make. And, you know, that's the one thing I've always encouraged in my teams when we've, you know, brought teams of technical salespeople together. If there's a mistake on site or something went wrong, don't hesitate to pick the phone up. I need to know, you know, it's part of that accountability process, which is so good now, you know, we've got that infrastructure in place. And if we encourage um, our teams to think, you know, it's not just my responsibility, but it's my responsibility to my whole team and it's all to the, to the industry, you know, because people can learn from these mistakes. You know, we talk about the air crashes, goodness, you know, it's terrible when those happen, but they've got an infrastructure in place that says, okay, the emotional side, let's move that out of the way, which is really horrible, but let's do the practical side and let's examine what's happened here and let's piece it back together as a jigsaw and see if, if we can learn from this. And, you know, I, I truly believe that flying has become safer and safer and safer as, as the time has gone on. And that's reflected when you look at the percentages of, of unfortunate, you know, crashes that do happen or accidents that happen, but less and less people proportionally, you know, compared to how many people travel and fly it's less, it's a lot less, you know? And I think the industry definitely as a construction industry, we've got a better reputation, not just in the UK and Europe, but also here in, our, you know, in Canada, that's improved immensely over the last 10, 15, 20 years, you know? Yeah, I agree. I think we've come a, a very long way in terms of safety over the last dec decade or so, but I do think we still have an even further journey to go. Um, you know, I, I think, some people are comfortable having those difficult conversations about about safety, right? And and bringing things to people's attention, um, but there's still some people who are are worried about it. You know, there's kind of that fear factor of, well, if I say something, is that going to affect my job, or is there going to be retaliation or consequences for me, right? So, yeah. I think we still have a long way to go to continue to coach people to to speak up, right, and and protect. <laughs> Yeah, and, and the thing is, it, it, it comes from the top. I don't care what anybody says. People say, oh, it comes from the bottom, and it comes from the other people and staff members and the team. But bottom line, right, it comes from the top. Because if you have an environment which is adversarial, if it's one where you know you get the point finger pointed or you get the blame for things or you don't feel comfortable speaking your mind, that is, that is bottom line you know, from the top. You know, we've got to have great managers and great leaders who say, you know what, I know people are going to make mistakes, but I want to give you the courage to make decisions yourself based on, you know, information. So do the assimilation process, do the comparison process, and do the decision making and say, okay, let's weigh it up. Okay, we're going to go for this based on the data and the information I have. What does my gut tell me? Because that kicks in at that point. This is what we talked about before. If it feels right, technically it looks right then go with it. Now, I always say to my staff, you know, if, if you make a mistake or it comes back and it bites you, let's analyze that. Let's figure that out so that, again, we can spread the word. You know, we can make sure that people understand that you took the chance, you were backed up by your management team, we analyzed it, and then we figured out what we need to change in terms of our processes, the way that we do something, and have that environment of, of, of trust, but also giving people um, the chance to make those decisions themselves. Now, you don't put somebody that's untrained in that situation, and you certainly don't put somebody in there that has no experience of it. But you want to be able to say to your, your seasoned professionals, the people that have gone through training, the education, the, you know, the technical stuff, they've got experience because they've, they've um, ride side saddle with somebody, so they've been to see the practical stuff. You want to give them 
you know, that chance to make those decisions and have ownership of it, you know. And I do find a little bit in the industry, you know, not just in the construction industry, but in the highways and traffic industry, that people hold back because they're frightened about losing a job or, you know, they're frightened about, oh, you know, it's going to cost more money. <laughs> Move that out of the way. Be confident. You know, be courageous even. Be prepared to speak your voice and, and talk about things if they don't feel right, you know. But you can only obviously do that in, a, in an environment of encouragement, support, and also one where there's no, no blame game. It's about being transparent. Um, and it's, it's difficult because of the current situation that so many people are scared, you know, for, by the environment they're in that they can't speak up, you know. But unfortunately, I always say one thing, and maybe it's because I'm a stubborn Scotsman, but... You know, you live by the sword, you die by the sword, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I often believe that if you truly say with the bottom, from the bottom heart and it comes from the right place, from the soul, as I call it, uh, but based on your technical knowledge as well, you've got to have the confidence to say what you want to say and stand by it. And I think if more people do that, you, you be, it's amazing how, how the environment changes, becomes that different culture. But you've got to be some, some of the first people to do that, you know, and have the confidence to do that. And, you know, I do understand when people don't speak up, but it's your duty to speak up. You know, other people involved, there could be lives involved, you know. It could have a ramification. It could have a legacy. So think about all those things, you know, and speak up, you know, and you might be wrong. You might get it wrong, but guess what? You learn a lesson from that, you know, nothing wrong with that. There we are. So for those people that, that might be listening that are a little bit nervous to speak up or, or maybe they've just never been in that situation before, do you have some suggestions maybe for those people of how they could approach it and what, you know, what might make that process easier? Well, there's a couple of things that I always believe in uh, when you first start out in the industry, for sure, is you've got to find a great mentor. You've got to find somebody who is prepared to share the information, share the secret source, you know. And what's wonderful about our industries, you know, be it, um, you know, a traffic highway safety industry, a construction industry, is that you have what I call the elder statesman or the elder stateswoman, you know, that's in that industry who's got great experience there may be something in the late 40s, into the 50s, even into the 60s, you know. I would say, for me, when I was learning, I just love listening to those people. I mean, I love people anyway. I love, everybody's got a story, you know. So I, for me, I, I, I kind of love hearing, you know, this is something that went wrong when we were doing this, but we did it in a different way back then. So you really need to key into, first of all, when you get into a company, if you get an internship or if you get a chance to start working as a trainee, that you've got to find a good mentor, somebody who you can key into and see if they're prepared to sort of sit down and give you a little bit of their time each week. Um, and just over a coffee, you know, like we're doing, we're, we're doing the coffee and, uh, you know, having a chat. That's really the level at which you should start. But then I think as, a, as a, an employee, as a young employee, maybe somebody or somebody who's older who's just going into the industry for the first time, push your managers, push your team to say, I want some training. I want to be able to experience this, 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 and this. Because a lot of the time we get pigeonholed now. You know, we have technicians, we have technologists, then we have the engineers, you know, and they always very much now are in very kind of very vertical, um, you know, parts of the industry a lot of the time. And so they don't veer outside of that. So I would say definitely if you're new to the industry, push to get experience in different um, departments. You know, if there's a chance to go out with an engineer who's doing geological surveys, um, and you're based around, I don't know, construction, you know, 
Well, go out with them because you know what you're going to learn? You're going to learn a lot about how land gets affected by water, just as we talked about Aberfan and Wales, where the whole structure of the coal changed over a period of two weeks and it became a liquid. Well, you would never learn that unless you obviously, you know, look back in history. But if you went out with somebody who's a geological survey, you know that when you come to construct the foundations for that bridge, for the new highway that's going around one of the cities that we have in Alberta, and you realize that you come across, say, I don't know, a clay environment, which looks great in the summer because it's nice and dry, and then becomes extremely liquid and malleable during the winter. And what effect does that have on your foundations? And how should you, you know, design that bridge with expansion joints in the right place and things like that? So yeah, my, my thing would say is... Um, my expression, beg, borrow, and steal. That's what you do. Beg, borrow, and steal the information. Because, and don't stop asking questions, you know. Be bold again. Again, it's like all about confidence. You know, if you're not a natural uh, converser, you may be a little bit of an introvert. And often people are in our industry, you know, we're very technically minded. We're very kind of thinking uh, about things because we need that space and that peace and quiet to think through very complicated processes. Stop that, grab half an hour, and be bold and go and ask, you know, say, listen, I'm new to the industry. I'd love to pick your brains. Do you have 20 or 30 minutes to grab a coffee and learn that way by osmosis? Because I think really we tend to now really isolate ourselves a lot now because of the technology and, you know, the fact that we can text or email somebody. And it's a very easy way of getting things off your desk or processing things. But there's nothing like either talking to somebody face to face or picking up the telephone and having that conversation because then you can feel it. It's like us having a conversation here for your podcast. This wouldn't be any good over email. This wouldn't be any good any other way. It's about touching base with each other and keying into the things that we say and picking up from the nuances that, you know, you don't feel comfortable with that, do you? Tell me a little bit more about that, you know? That's the important thing. So that's that's what I recommend. Beg, borrow, and steal. Talk to everybody but make sure you push your company, your managers to get experience across the field, not just in the part of the industry that you're in. Brilliant. Brilliant. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. No, my pleasure. So a bit of a fun question as we kind of wrap up this episode. So if you were to meet with yourself um, again, you know, when you were first starting out in your career, so if, if, technology was able to <laughs> give you the chance to have a conversation with yourself at that time. What would you tell yourself or what would you um, say and yeah. advise yourself to do or learn from the beginning to really set yourself up for success in project management? Uh, that's a really good question. I always find it a very difficult one to answer because <laughs> it's a, this kind of thinking uh, through, you know, a kind of a scenario, but here's what I would say. Um, if project managing is really kind of what you figured out kind of leaving school and there's what you want to do. And I often think that a lot of people don't often think that way about project management. You know, it tends to be an area that, you know, they go into a straight industry like construction or highways, construction or something like that. And then they move over to project management. They have that purchase for managing projects. Then the, what I would say is that um, definitely, again, probably what I said earlier on, definitely get some experience in a firm before you take that plunge, you know? So, if you want to do an internship, even if you were still, at, even at um, high school, you know, you're thinking about it and you want to think, you know, I like construction. I like to go into the industry and project management appeals to me, you know, can coordinating things. I would say get some experience, work experience, going to spend a week or a couple of days with the company um, to see if it's really you. Because I think often is not like I had the idea that I wanted to be a cartographer. Well, I'm sure I would have been bored 
senseless after a couple of years of drawing maps, you know? So that's the thing. I think you have to do that groundwork first. And again, even if you're in uh, university and you're doing your degree, get out during those, you know, the summer period, which, you know, there's a facility there for everybody to do that in Alberta and across Canada and get to know different project, project management companies and different people are in that sphere. But what would I tell myself? I think number one, follow your heart. Bottom line, you know, if it feels right and it inspires you and it helps you get out of bed in the morning, follow your heart. Because if you follow your heart, you're always going and I wouldn't say you're always going to be happy, but you're always going to have a chance to be happy. All right. And as we talked about earlier, emotional parts of your life are very important because they're key into your work. Second one, don't be frightened to change. That's the other thing, right? Don't be frightened to say, you know, I've done two years with this company. I've got great experience. I feel like the change is coming on and I feel it. You know, I want to get experience somewhere. Do it. Don't hang on. Do it, right? Because the thing is, when you do it, that door shuts, of course, once you make that change, but the other one opens and it, exper it exposes you to so many new people in your life and so many new experiences. So I would say have, um, you know, definitely have a game plan. I, mean, I used to have a five or 10 year game plan of where I wanted to be. And I'd always be very clear about that. In five years' time, this is what I wanted to do. And I think to be perfectly upfront, up until I would say 2010, 2011, until I came to Canada, funny enough, that was always my game plan. And it always seems to work. I always seem to move every four or five years to something different. But now it's so difficult. It's not so easy because the market is fluid. So that's the thing, you know, follow your heart, have a game plan and get experience, you know, ask the questions and get in with companies at a very early stage. And don't be frightened to change. I love it. I love it. And it's, it's great to hear, um, you know, that, that you had that plan, you had that vision for yourself and you tested it out. And, you know, if, if things didn't work, you were flexible enough to try something different, but also, you know, you know, still keep yourself on target, right. For, for that plan. So I, um, I'm with you and I agree with you that I think a career plan is so very important because it gives you focus and direction and it helps you evaluate how things are going, right? And, and back to that gut feel that we were talking about, I think we all reach that point in our career where we, we hit a wall, right? And we have a gut feel like it's time for a change or it's time to try something different, right? And, and I agree that it's important to trust that. And I think having a career plan will help you to recognize when that feeling happens. Would Definitely. you agree? I, I would agree with that. But the other thing I would like to say, just as a little bit of an addendum of what I've um, just explained, is that also don't just stay in your industry. You know, because construction and highway management and the areas that I, were, I was in, I found when I came out of my industry and went into an ancillary industry, we still needed project management. You became the expert. You became the go-to. You know, and then you were the master of your own destiny to a certain extent, you know. So if you felt that you were frustrated, because it's like being an orchestra, right? You can have five violins, you can have four clarinets, two trumpets, or, you know, three trombones. But if you're always the one at the end, you're always bumping off the others. You know, there's always the competition in front of you, you know, because of experience and the longevity of them being there. So what often happens if you go solo, then it's up to you. You know, that's the nice thing about it. And if you're solo in a band, right, that you're the only trumpeter, but everybody does the singing and somebody else does the bass and everything, you become complementary. And that's the important thing in the industry. Don't just stay in the industry because that's what you've been trained to do. Think in your goals and your plans later on how you want to take those transferable skills 
and move to a slightly different industry. A great example was I moved from highways uh, traffic to playground installations. You know, how the heck does that relate to traffic in highway management and construction? Well, it does because you still have groundworks to do in a playground. You still have to put foundations in for the equipment and you have to still coordinate the project. There's a very tight timeline of getting these in when school's out, for instance, during the summer. And so you have to coordinate all that. So don't just think inside your kind of your box that you're in, in terms of the industry you're in, I, you know, like say, you know, the, the construction industry, think where you could be important in other industries and where your skills are transferable to. Brilliant. Brilliant. Oh, I think with that, I'm going to give you the last word because that, that is the perfect way to, I think, end our conversation. <laughs> well, okay. I'm going to do you a bit of promotion now because I think this is really important. And I want to say to the listeners that, you know, it's been a pleasure knowing you, Jennifer, because I think what you bring to the, the industry and definitely to the, the table is definitely energy and enthusiasm, but you bring authenticity. What you see is what you get. And that's what I like about you. And I think this is the thing. I think you are one of those people that, you know, this is what you're going to, what you see is what you're going to get. And and you are very authentic with people in terms of, I can help you, I can't help you. And I've always found that you have always been accommodating in trying to, you know, help people out no matter which situation they're in. And I just feel actually very honored to be on one of your podcasts because I know you've just started this uh, only a number of weeks ago. And for me, uh, you know, to have the guts to just, go over that comfort zone, which is really outside your comfort zone, actually, is, is great because it's inspired me to look at podcasting as well uh, as I'm in between, you know, projects and, and, and professions. And so I wanted to ask, you know, I just want to thank you for that, that, that inspiration to just try it, just go for it, you know. And uh, I feel very, like I say, very privileged to be on your podcast today. So thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. I'm, I'm so thankful to have you on as a special guest and to be able to uh, learn from you and pick your brain about project management. And uh, it's always a pleasure having a, a chat with you. So thank you so much for, for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Okay. Take care. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Are you a project professional who is eager to kickstart your career in project management? Perhaps you've recently completed your education or a credential, or maybe you're seeking a career change from a trade or engineering to get into project management. Or even if you're looking for a promotion into a project manager role, and you're looking for some more information on how to reach that next step in your career, then I invite you to join my next live webinar on how to gain a positively unfair advantage in your project management job search. All you need to do is visit kwebinar.com that's K for Kickstarter webinar dot pro collab consulting pro P R O collab C O L L A B consulting.com to join me on the next live webinar that's coming up. Looking forward to seeing you there.